Welcome to Broken Catholic, the number one Catholic voice in America. Why? Because I talk about the most important things that nobody else is talking about right now, and they should. The things that matter to you, like why the world isn't working right now. Plus, I tackle unspeakable topics that you may secretly struggle with but won't admit. Today, I got another hot, hot topic, and my guest is fantastic. You're going to love her story. I'm your host, your coach, your friend, Joseph Warren. I'm also a broken Catholic and former atheist, and I was almost murdered twice, but God spared my life. Why did he spare my life? Because he had a higher calling and purpose for my life. Hopefully, I am living that now. This show is created for you, the person who wants to be accepted and loved and reminded that there's a higher purpose for your life. If this is your first time joining us, thank you for being here. And if you're one of the thousands of people in over 31 plus countries who listen to the show every single week, thank you. This show wouldn't happen without you. So thank you for being here every single week. Today, our featured guest is Mallory Aveline. And Mallory is a mentor, life coach, entrepreneur, speaker, writer, internationally published hairstylist and makeup artist. She's an educator, encourager, and emotional intelligence junkie, and she's a lover of life. She works one-on-one -on -one in groups to help you get real with yourself, decide what it is you really want in your life, and she teaches you to hold yourself accountable to those ideals and manifest your dreams into your reality. Today, she's going to get real with you. She's going to get personal. How do I know? Because I'm darn good at what I do. And I'm going to get her to open up about her past and the struggles and the challenges of her life, some of the decisions she made, and then what God has done to transform her life and make her the woman that she is today. You can find her at MalloryAveline.com. That's MalloryAveline. I said it. <laughs> Aveline.com. That's spelled A-V-A-L-I-N-E. So MalloryAveline.com. Mallory, welcome to the show. Fill in some of the gaps in that intro, would you? Hello. That's such a fancy intro. So many things. It sounds so much cooler when you read it back like that. <laughs> I am very fancy, so go ahead. <laughs> Give me some of the let's you can start this way. Um, take a minute and share something personal about you that very few people in your business life know. Gosh. Um I mean, outside of my personal team, because I do get pretty personal with them, but, you know, I never, I never assume anyone sees anything on Facebook, but, you know, back in February, I did a pretty raw live video, but something that colleagues may not know when they look at my successful career is that I was a meth addict for five years and a stripper uh, exotic dancer, whatever you want to refer to it as for eight years, which is such a far stretch from the person I am today. So when you hear those things about me, I think that it shocks some people. Mm, got it. All right. Well, thanks for going there. We're going to get into that story. Um, why do you think, before we get into the story, why do you think the world isn't working right now? People aren't honest enough people, I, I see it all too often. So many people are trying to live up to the standards that they believe others need them to be. And I think when you would, if people, if more people would get real and cut the BS and get to the vulnerable stuff and show that we're not all perfect, I think you'd relate to people on so much more of a real level. 
Mm. I get that. So we got all these facades, all these stories, 8 billion different fake stories of look at my perfect life, all like intersecting with each other and nobody's being real. Like what the, what the F, right? Yeah. Everyone wants to put out the highlight reel and that's not reality. No, we don't want to show our ugly. Listen, BC nation, you got ugly in your life. You got ugly in your past, right? You've made decisions that were just flat ugly. You've used people, you've hurt people, you've been used, you've been hurt. You're wounded, you're broken, you have scars. We all have scars, right? Get that. And when we get that, you know, I think to Mallory's point, there's a realization that, man, I don't want to hurt people anymore, right? They're already hurt. They've already been hurt enough. Right. And when they start sharing their stories, like when someone shares the brokenness, like your, your heart opens up, doesn't it? It's like you just have so much compassion for that person. And the last thing you would do is hurt them. But we don't hear the stories. And it's because we're not sharing the story. So today, Mallory is going to share her story. Mallory, I want you to go back in time. Yeah. I want you to go back to the dark place. That place where you made decisions in your life. You did the best you could with what you knew back then. You were human, but you made decisions that really pulled you into the darkness. Um, and, you know, I want you to paint us a vivid picture. Um, tell us that story. Where did it all begin? Mm. Gosh, it is, um, it is tough to go back there, but good thing I've been practicing <laughs> going back there quite often through a lot of my writing and speaking. Um, I grew up in, I don't want to say a poor household, but I grew up with a father that, you know, the quintessential car salesman, quintessential used car salesman. Um, he actually comes from Jewish descent. So there's a little bit of like joking in our family that he's the epitome of a greedy Jew. Um, he took us out of the nice neighborhood that we lived in, not, not extremely nice, but took us out of the neighborhood that we lived us and planted us right into the ghetto. Fair mm. house, less money. So it was, it was always about that. What could he get more and pay less for? Against my mom's better wishes, moved me and my three siblings right into the middle of the hood. And when I mean the middle of the hood, I mean the first year we lived in that house, my next door neighbor shot and killed three people in the field behind our house. Mm. Um, there were drug deals on a regular basis. I mean, I saw crack cocaine when I was 12, I think for the first time. And so I, you know, we lived in this terrible neighborhood that was gun ridden, violent, fights, theft, police up and down all the time. And, uh, that's kind of where it all started, you know, being exposed to that on a regular basis. I don't know. It just kind of, kind of shows you the standards aren't real high around you. So when you don't know anything else, why should your standards be high? Mm. You just spoke so real to the environment that we choose for ourselves, right? Right. Like the external becomes the internal over time. Doesn't Absolutely. it? All right. Keep going. So uh, living in this neighborhood that I lived in, you know, I, which we can probably get into later, my, I didn't have a great home life. My parents fought 
constantly, whether it was about money, whether it was about lies, infidelity, addiction. You know, my dad was addicted to Xanax, ended up going to rehab later, um, addicted to pornography, gambling. And so I grew up just seeing all of that, all the while we were going to church in the mornings on Sunday, in the afternoon on Sunday, every Wednesday, every revival. And so there was this constant negative and positive that I saw that was quite confusing. And so uh, just to escape, I, I, I mean, as much as I can think that that would maybe be the reason would be to escape. I, I started smoking pot for the first time when I was 14, just to not deal with the reality of what I would go home to all the time. Mm. I get that. May I ask you a very personal question? Yes. Was there any physical abuse going on in the house? There was not towards me. My, um, my old, I have two older sisters. One's four years older, one's eight years older. And the one that's in the middle of us um, was, I would say, the, the rebellious child. You know, mm. the problem child really started doing drugs and stealing and sneaking out of the house. And, and I mean, hard drugs. Like she was doing acid at, you know, 14, 15 years old. And it caused my parents a lot of anguish. And there was physical abuse towards her. Mm. And I would see my dad get, you know, incredibly frustrated with her and kind of toss her around. And I saw him kick her once and, you know, just there was that kind of physical abuse. So not specifically towards me. I was the younger daughter at the time, but sure. I did see it for sure. What, what was that like for you to witness that? Oh gosh. Your, I mean, sister. as I'm, as I'm writing my book, you know, there's a, there's a chapter called growing up Christian because mm. my, my last name, my maiden name is actually Christian. Oh, great play and, on words. Yeah. And so growing up in this, you know, religious household, um, I literally remember standing on the front porch and one day they were fighting and my mom and dad are fighting and my dad's yelling at my sister and she's not getting out of the car quick enough. And he grabs her by her hair and pulls her out of the car and like throws her on the ground and kicks her. And I literally stood there and looked at him and I'm like, I hate him. Mm. I hate my father. And I rem I was probably 11 years old. And mm. just the course of the way I looked at him throughout the rest of the time that I lived in that house was changed at that moment. And I remember it so vividly. Wow. Powerful stuff. Do you think that affected or impacted the way you looked at men going forward in your life? 1000%. Would you expand on that? Yeah. Um, I saw there was just a lot of control. My mother was a very, very submissive wife. She did the cooking. She did the cleaning. She did the errands. She took care of the children and he yelled at her and he bossed her around and he was very demeaning towards her. And I would tell myself all the time, I am never going to marry a man like that. I will never be controlled by someone like that. I didn't know what I wanted in a man. I just knew that I didn't want that. So what did you create for yourself in your life with that new meaning or that story? Well, I mean, I ended up married to someone exactly like my father. Mm. So that tells you how uh, how powerful of an impact that can have on you. 
I, I didn't intend to, I, gosh, it was, I mean, after, which is a whole nother part of my story, I was raped at, at 15 years old, um, which also piled on to my hatred of controlling men. And there was a lot of things in between that. But when I was 18, that's when I decided I would be a stripper and I would control men and I would take their money and I would manipulate them. And I would never put myself in a situation again where I would be manipulated or controlled. That didn't work out real well for me, <laughs> but that was uh, the thoughts in the beginning of it. That's so powerful. Like you literally just spoke to something that nobody speaks to. Uh, I just want to like go there for a second. Right. Yeah. Like there was this as a 15 year old girl who gets raped, there was this sense of powerlessness. Yeah. Right. And you wanted your power back and you'll do whatever it takes regardless of the consequences. Right. Like, this will never, ever happen to me again, right? That's what the 15-year-old girl says. And there's nothing wrong with her saying that, right? Because what happened to her was evil. However, the choice that, that was made now is I've been hurt, so now I'm going to hurt others in yeah. some way, right? And, and sometimes we, we, we justify things, don't we? Um, we justify wrong for like more wrong and, and, and vice versa. It's, it's fascinating. Like looking back on that, that decision you made at that young age, um, what shows up for you today in that, that maybe you didn't, obviously you didn't see back then. Gosh, a couple of things. Um, it makes me be a more involved parent and, and it's been wonderful because things have definitely come full circle and I've been able to sit with my parents and talk through them about things. But for me, you know, I have a 17 year old an 11 year old and a two year old. So I have three children, very spread out in ages, and I get real with them. I get real, real. So one of the things that really, really is different for me when I look back on those moments is that, did my parents love me? Sure, probably as best as they knew how, but there was no consequence in my house. There was no standards to do better than average. There was no accountability to challenge yourself and be something more. It was just like, let's settle. It's tit for tat. You pissed me off. So I'm going to piss you off. You know, that's what I saw my whole life. It was, you hurt me. I'm going to hurt you back. Yeah. Well, you did this. So watch me do this. And so it just set me on this path of destructive choices thinking I was, I don't know, I don't want to say thinking I was doing good with my life because I knew that I wasn't, but I just didn't care at that point. I had felt so broken and so hurt that it was like, well, let me just do what's going to work for me now. Mm. You know, so many times we get to that place of resignation, right? We just resign. We just kind of throw in the emotional towel and say, this is too much work. Like, yeah. what's the point, right? I've never seen it work out well anyway. So why, why even try, um, going back, right. Um, and just kind of staying in the story for a few more minutes here, um, continue with the progression. So you get raped at 15 years old. Um, what happened next specifically? Um, 
it, I still was really in church, which is the crazy thing. I was still going to church every Sunday and every Wednesday with my, mostly just with my mom and my little brother at that point. My dad wasn't going anymore. My two older sisters were out of the house. They weren't going anymore. And so I found myself involved in church and still going to summer camps and getting little glimmers of pieces of truth, which I think ended up holding so valid in my life later because I was able to turn back to those truths. But um, I don't know, almost like a like just kind of a self-discovery, whether it was good or bad. I was all, it's, just, it's crazy because I can look back now and I can think like, wow, I was pretty good at the things that I applied myself to. You know, I was an all-star um, singer. I was a highly awarded um, vocalist in high school and I was the lead in the school musicals and anything that I tried at that I actually put effort into, I became really, really great at. But I felt really abandoned at a point. My, you know, my parents split again when I was a senior in high school. And that's that moment that I was just like, you know what, everyone keeps walking out on me. Everyone keeps abusing me, leaving me. My life's not worth anything. So I'm just going to go and do and not answer to anyone. And I just, I stopped caring at that point. I really did. I mean, by 18, by my senior year in high school, although I was seemingly the well-liked, decently popular, very active high school student, I was eating ecstasy and mushrooms and smoking pot three, four, five times a week. I mean, it was just complete destruction and no one even noticed. My mom didn't notice. My dad never noticed. They weren't involved enough. And so it's almost like I just, no one else cared. So why should I care? Yeah, I get that. So how did that lead into meth? Gosh, I was 18, um, picked up all my stuff and moved to Dallas alone packed my little tiny Ford probe up <laughs> as much as I could fit into it. And I literally drove straight to a club and said, do you need dancers? And they said, yes, I had a, a job of that afternoon and was staying in a hotel, um, super cheap motel, not even a hotel, super cheap motel met what was to be my boyfriend. We were together about nine months. That's a whole nother destructive, crazy story. But when I um, was in Dallas for those nine months, there was a lot of drug usage. There was, I mean, ecstasy four or five nights a week, multiple hits of ecstasy a night, just kind of in this whirlwind. My boyfriend at the time was a drug dealer. I mean, I saw kilos and kilos of cocaine. I, I mean, you know, not even 19 years old yet. I was still 18 at this point. Um, we got into it a few times, obviously not the cream of the crop type of boyfriend to have. My front door was kicked in by FBI once, um, demanding him and his drugs and his money. And, and he hid all of that from me. I never really saw any of it on a regular basis unless he was like counting and weighing stuff out, which he didn't do in front of me, surprisingly too often. 
So they pulled his safe out of the house and, and took everything. And I'm sitting on the couch with a busted door. Like, oh my gosh, where is he? He's not answering his phone. He comes in and he's upset with me and blaming me and telling me that I turned him in and that I gave him his stuff. And, you know, so that was quite an experience. And not a couple of weeks after that, I came home from a shift at the club one night and my entire apartment was empty wall to wall. He had robbed me blind. There was a note on the bar that said, good luck getting out of Texas, you stupid bitch. I'm like, wow, I'm 18. Um, my parents are currently separated. I feel like I have no one to turn to. The only person that I was close with was my boyfriend. I had turned my back on all my friends at home because you know, the few friends I did have didn't agree with my lifestyle and my choices. I was alone. I was completely alone. I moved back home um, with my dad, went crawling back to a man that I hated, you know, my father. Luckily, he opened his arms and said, you know, come home. You always have a place here. And um, shortly after that, about six months after that, I was 19 and I met what would end up being my first husband. And he introduced me to meth the first night that we met. Wow. Yeah. Now, when you're sitting there and you go out on that first date. Um, well, it was not a date. Oh, was, okay. That's not what you do when you're a stripper. <laughs> oh, got it. Got it. There was, so. there was no date. There was a, you know, it was, I met him. He was in the club that night. I was working, you know, and he was charming and he was funny and he was really cute. And um, just kind of the life of the party kind of guy. And it was. Hey, do you want to come hang out tonight? Sure. Went home with him, you know, was really promiscuous back in that time. Slept with him the first night I met him, got high out of our minds on meth and went home the next day. Like never going to see that guy again. Cause I had done that several times at that point. You know, there had been several one night stands. There was no, value, I guess, of myself at that point. I mean, the one thing I was taught in a very religious household, you know, your virginity, you keep that till you're married, was taken from me. And so I, I just didn't care. I'm like, well, if it was already taken from me, then what's the point? Like, what I'm, what's so special that I'm really sharing with someone? Mm. You know that I get that. I get the, the logical process there. Where was God in all of this at this time in your life? You know, it's so crazy because I think back and I, you know, growing up with a very, very spiritual mother, she's very spiritually in tune, which I'm still trying to unfold all of that um, in my thinking these days because she is, she has everything to do with why my relationship with God is what it is today. Mm. She was burned by several churches, you know, religion, um, just the hypocrisy that comes along with so many things that we all experience the religion. And she taught me from a very young age that my relationship with God was not defined by a doctrine, that it was not defined by a church over my head that it was defined by my willingness to have a relationship with him. And I remember coming to her one day and saying, mom, I don't pray like you. 
And this is when I was pretty young. I was probably 11 or 12. You know, my mom spoke in tongues and I would see her lay hands on people. And we would have two, three day revivals at our church. I grew up in a pretty small church and um, we'd have two, three day revivals. And I would see my hand, my mom lay hands on people and, and just amazing things unfold. I mean, I would be lying if I did not say that I experienced God at a really young age. Mm. And so I think it was always there. I think I knew the truth from an early age, but I chose to turn my back on it because of all the negative experiences. Mm. And so there's always this underlying knowing that God was real because I had felt God's presence, but I also felt so abandoned by God. Like, which I think so many of us also experience, you know, well, if God was here, then why this? Well, if God loved me, then why does my husband have cancer? Well, if God was really here, why did I lose a child? You know, it's like, we want to blame it on God. And, and at that point in my life, that's kind of what it was. It was, well, if you loved me so much and you wanted me to have this great life, well, where are you? Why aren't you showing up for me? Yeah. You know, on a episode um, I just did recently with uh, Kinsey Ray, we spoke about this, right? And we spoke about, you know, if this, the, the common question, right, is um, if God exists, then why is there so much evil in the world? And, you know, what we fail to realize is that the entire universe is made up of duality, right? Within all the laws of the universe, you got, you know, light, you got darkness, you got sun, you got, right. You got day, you got night, etc. Right. So you got these dualities and it's what we fail to realize is that uh, there's no such thing as darkness. There's no such thing as evil. There's no such thing as the color black, right? These are all the absence of the, the, the counter one, right? So darkness is the absence of light right? White is the absence of, uh, sorry, black is the absence of white. Um, Evil is the absence of love or the absence of God. And it's when we choose rebellion to God and push him out of our life by our actions, we are left with darkness. Right. And And then we blame, then we blame God for the darkness. Like, why did you bring this darkness into my life, God? And he looks at us as little sons and daughters. It's kind of like your boyfriend blaming you for the FBI kicking in the door, right? Coming after him for all of his choices. You didn't choose that. He didn't want the consequences of his choices, of his rebellion to the law, right? And we as humans, I think, don't want the consequences to the choices and decisions of our rebellion to God, a rebellion to our creator that leaves us with all the evil in our life and the ugliness and the brokenness. And then those, that's the very time we're meant to call on him and say, God, look what I've done. I messed up. Look at the mess. I need your help. Right. Help me through this. Right. What shows up for you in that? I mean, there's, there was a lot of messy for sure. There was a lot of blaming. Um, but my, my mom was one that stayed consistent throughout all of this. Like I, I remember her calling me several times throughout my life. You know, when I was, when I was 19, after I had started getting into smoking meth, I was, um, I liked to tell myself that I was a functioning addict because 
I still held a beautiful household. I was, you know, a pretty young girl. I looked really put together. I was not someone that didn't brush my teeth and stayed in the house and didn't shower for days. You know, I was like, oh, I'm not one of those tweaker people that you've met. Like, I'm a functioning addict. It's fine. And so it was more about the glamour. I was driving to Dallas. I had an apartment here with my then boyfriend who ended up becoming my husband. And I was driving to Dallas on the weekend, every other weekend to work because there was more money in Dallas. There was higher end clubs down there. And I was glamorous, you know, it was, it was hair, makeup, big jewelry, giant heels, you know, pretty lingerie. It was as glamorous as, as you can picture, I guess, strippers being. And my mom would call me, you know, but my mom, my mom's an intercessor prayer. She's a feeler. She's incredibly prophetic. Um, and she would call me and she would say things like Mallory. I keep having this dream that you're on this stage and you're in this massive glass mansion and that it's just beautiful and you look beautiful, but you're naked and there are chains on what is going on. And I was like, she didn't know I was a stripper. I was lying through my teeth about what I was doing. And she would tell me these things. I'm like, mom, you're crazy. You're just, you're letting your mind run wild. When all the while, fast forward, and I look at that time in my life, that's exactly what it was. I was bound by the chains of my addictions, my love of money, my love of the attention, my love of the drugs and the high and chasing the high. And But my mom would tell me constantly, I'm praying for you. I have claimed your life for God, and I am believing through this that you're going to come out on the other side of this with a powerful story. And I would just kind of ignore her, you know, like, Oh, whatever, mom, whatever. You don't even know what you're talking about. You know? Um, so there was definitely a constant, but it's, it's crazy. I've always been a writer, like as far as like journaling things and jotting things down. And uh, I find these writings sometimes, and I don't know if it was just moments of clarity. Maybe I was high when I wrote them maybe it was a time of sobriety in between the highs, but I would, I would write and I would ask God to watch over me through that. Like even in my darkness, even in those places where I was choosing to walk in destruction, I would still ask for his favor is as strange as that is. And I, I've found some of these writings and I'm like, I, and it's funny because I can look at the paper. Like I have this one paper that I ordered from one of my nephews who was having a fundraiser at the time. And I ordered some stationery and that's the stationery it's written on. So I can think back, oh my gosh, I bought that stationery when I was about 19 or 20. And that's what those writings are on. And so I can remember crying out even in my darkest point. Mm. You know, that's such a grace. You know, sometimes we think that we're the source of that. Like, you know, thank goodness I reached out or whatever. But even that is a gift, right? That God gave you to even think and consider and cry out for help. You know, God, I'm messing up, like help, you know, um, yeah. help me through this, right? What a gift he gave you, right? And your mom praying for you. We forget our parents, don't, don't we? Because yeah. they mess up. They mess up in life. And according to our standards, 
until we become parents and then we go, Oh crap. Yeah. This, this is a mess, right? Like I'm not the perfect parent I thought I was going to be. And we look back at our parents and we go, man, they weren't the perfect parent. And, but your mom did something so good, right? In her brokenness. That's why the show is called broken Catholic, right? Cause we literally are all broken. Yeah. And you know, in her brokenness, she claimed your life for God. And for that, you owe her, her, right? Not only that she gave you life, but she claimed your life. And it's like, what a powerful thing. But as young people, we diminish it, right? You're like, mom, you're crazy. You don't know what you're talking about, right? And now you're looking back and you're like, oh my gosh, my life would have been destroyed without my mom's constant prayers. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. So how does that, how do you connect your mom doing that to the mother you now are? I, my, some of my favorite memories with my mom were her willingness to always be present and, and show up for us. You know, she, she's the one that ran us back and forth to practices dance. I was in cheerleading and choir and gymnastics and, and she kept us occupied. I think too, because we lived in the neighborhood that we lived in, she would have rather us been at a million activities than running the neighborhood like we were. And so her being incredibly involved has always shown me that I need to show up for my children because she would always I remember her getting on to my dad and she's like you know you showing up with a gift between you flying in and out doesn't mean anything to them that's not what they're going to remember your time is what they're going to remember and I would remember her griping at him for those things and it's so true because Mm. what do your children your children don't remember what you got them for Christmas last year what they remember is that you were front row at the awards ceremony at school when they received their reading award you know and so she taught me to be an ever-present parent that's so cool what about your father have you forgiven him have you restored that relationship yet I have but I will say that is something that I am deeply working on right now is really understanding that I didn't have a relationship with my dad at all from the time I was 11 or 12 until I was probably in my mid twenties until I really like started reaching out to him more. My dad was an entrepreneur, you know, he was a used car salesman and and really great at what he did. Um, He did always, teach me like I I say I'm a card saver I save cards I can open any card that he has ever given me and there is something in it about reaching for your dreams making your dreams a reality you can be anything you want to be in this world you have to work for it he was a hard worker you know he was just an active father and now that I know the things about him from his past and his childhood I can see that trying to do the best he could with what he knew how to do. Um, But it's come full circle. We almost um, lost my dad to actually, wow, what's today? The 10th? May 13th, two years ago, my dad died on an operating table and was without oxygen for 22 minutes. 
and ended up in a coma for nine days. And they told us he wasn't going to live, that he was brain dead and that there was no reversing what happened to him. That turned into a 70 day hospital stint. He is out now, um, but he's in, a, he's in a wheelchair. He can't walk. His cognitive is not the same. Um, and so I have these, and, and I just told my mom this, like, we had such a great little, my little couch talks that I have with her. Um, and I told her, I want to just like roll him out to the lake and sit and chat with him, you know, and really work through some things because my relationship with him, although he is really trying, you know, like he texts me almost every day. I love you, baby girl. Mm -hmm. You know, and so the love that he has is there. His love is a different kind of love. I think he gives it in what capacity he knows how to give. But I want a deeply fulfilling relationship with him that I don't have. Wow. So my question to you, right? And uh, if you allow me, um, you know, is, is to ask, like, what are you going to do to create that? right? That relationship, because I hear this so much and I've gone through so much transformation myself, you know, with my own family, my parents and everything like that. And it's like, these are things that I used to think they were responsible for uh, restoring the relationship with me because they're my parents and that's right. their job. And what I now realized was I was the one suffering. Um, so if I wanted uh, the pain or the suffering to stop, I had to create the relationship that I wanted with them. Sure. I had to take responsibility for that. And it all started with forgiving them right to their face, even if they hadn't asked for it. And that's so darn difficult to do, yeah. right? Cause you want them to ask for it, like get down on their hands and knees and go, I was a bad dad. I was a bad mom. You know, I am so sorry you turned out like this, or you had to go through all this. And I wish I didn't make all those choices. That's what we want to hear. It's not what we'll ever hear. It's just not. So we can live in this false reality and keep wishing and wishing. And then something happens, they die and it's right. too late. And then we, we live with regret and, or we can choose to just forgive them through all the brokenness. Right. Yeah, they're a mess. We got it. So am I. So well, I know we're all a mess, right? Right? <laughs> right. And just forgive them and just say, Dad, I'm a mess. Dad, you're a mess. I forgive you. You know, you you did things that hurt me, man. You put me in, you know, the ghetto, which led to all these freaking choices and this bad environment. And I, I didn't stand a chance as a little girl. And then I got raped. You know, and, and that hurts, you know, and dad, I know that wasn't your intention for me, but that happened. Right. And I just want to say to you and look you in the eye, I forgive you. Yeah. I forgive you for all of it. Like, and just speak that truth into the man. You know, he's trying, he's texting you every day, baby girl, I love you. That's all he's got. Yeah, it is. It's, That's all it's he's got. And it's, it's simple, and it's, but it's sweet. And I know that he... I know he means it. You know, I know he has a lot of heartache and I know that he has a lot of regret of what he could have done differently. Um, it's tough. That's probably my toughest thing that I'm facing right now is, is longing for that with him because I, I talk with my mom all the time, you know, and she and I have had several conversations that like when she finally saw the video that I, the live video that I released on Facebook and 
She calls me up. She's like, baby girl, we've got to talk. I'm like, pour a cup of coffee. (laughs) Yeah, a couple hours of coffee. Yeah, and so we've had some awesome heart-to-hearts, but, you know, I think my dad still hurts. I think. Did your dad see the video? Yes, she said she showed it to him. So he has seen it. Have you spoken to him about it yet? No, he has not. What are you waiting for? I don't know. Why are you being a wuss? Seriously, your website is filled with your dad's language. I hope you get that, right? Yeah. His words have passed through to you. Your website's all about empowerment and live the life that you want and take action, right? Yeah, and I know that that's what it is. It's me sitting down with him and doing the exact things that I tell all the women that I mentor to do, to walk in truth, to be unafraid, to seek to understand. Mallory, I had no idea that this conversation would turn into some partial coaching, but (laughs) first off, thank you for being coachable. I acknowledge you for that. That takes a courageous person uh, to do that and to do it publicly, right? Yeah. What are you going to take on with your dad to set him free and to set you free? Um, I want to, I want to have some talks with him and get them on, on video. You know, that was something when I met Hank at, you know, when I went to the 10 X conference and I spoke with Hank, he really challenged me to all this healing that I'm doing, this journey that I'm on to get it on video because that's, you know, or, or on record, like his whole thing is press record, which is, you know, what you're doing, you know, and you're getting this content out there and these stories out there to people so that they're like, wow, I'm not alone, you know, and my dad is such a fight or flight person and such a survivor of so much, you know, he was beaten and abused as a child and just had to stand up and work for himself since he was like 12, 13 years old, you know, and, and work hard. He was a cotton farmer and a cattle farmer and owned grocery stores and, and hustled hard. And so I think it's sitting with him and, and calling him out on the masks that he tries to wear. Because when you try to have a conversation with him, it's almost like a one upper kind of thing. Like he's. So Mallory, if I can just stop you right there. Um, It's not about calling your dad out. That's not where you're going to find your healing. And you're definitely not going to set him free. I bet you he's been called out his whole life. It's not working. So change your approach. You, I think, I think you literally just nailed it. You said his childhood was a mess. Yeah. He was abused. Start there with your dad. Take your dad out to the lake. Sit him down. Say, dad, I really want to hear your story. Yeah. Like, I want to hear about your childhood if you're willing. I want to know who you are. Right? Share that. And I guarantee yeah, and I you. I think that's what I mean by calling out. I don't mean in a negative way of like, yeah. you know, how you would kind of confront or condemn someone. But almost in a way of like inviting him to be truthful. He, he yeah. tries to make things seem like something they're not or dance around an issue. You know, he's we, a all do. Guy. Yeah. we all do just like you said, right. We're all living yeah. these facades, right? He's no, yeah. he's not an exception. And he's one of 8 billion. Like, 
yeah, it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay. And I think that with after everything that happened to him and him, you know, literally dying on an operating table and, mm. and just not a hundred percent being the same, he is in a place of vulnerability. You know, he depends on us to get him in and out of the car, to make him a sandwich, to help him go to the restroom, you know? And so he, he feels he's in a really vulnerable place right now because he has to rely on other people to do things for him when he was an entrepreneur, you know, and literally physically cannot do much for himself at all right now. Mallory, go set that man free. <laughs> telling you, set that man free. He gave you life. Set him free. Your life will get set free because you're about, you're very powerful. Your story is very powerful, but your relationship with your dad, if I may be so bold, is still an anchor on you. It is. No, and I know that it is. And it's aware uh, or not. It's aware. I'm aware. Yeah. And God cannot use you to your full potential until you set your father free and forgive him. Right. Like from a very deep, real place. Yes. All right. Let's wrap this one up. What is the one thing, Mallory, that you want the world to know about having a relationship with God, with everything you've been through, the dark, the ugly, now you're in the light and you know, all this awesomeness. What's the one thing you want the world to know about having a relationship with God? That there is so much power in walking in gratitude with God. When my prayers changed from God, get me out of this. God, why is life this way? God, please provide this for me. And when I changed it to thank you for this life. Thank you for my abilities. Thank you for my gifts that you have uniquely given me. Please work through me to use what you have given me. And when I changed my mind from a need and this want from him to a complete and utter thankfulness, my life began, began to shift in unspeakable ways. I love that. Broken Catholic Nation, listen to the wisdom bomb that Mallory just dropped on you. If your life's not working right now, it's because you keep asking for things. Your need is your greed, right? And turn that around, transform that into gratitude, prayers of gratitude. God, thank you for this. Thank you for that. And if it's hard to find those things to be grateful for in your life because it's so broken, it's so wounded and hurtful right now, find just one little thing. God, thank you for the air in my lungs. God, thank you for the sunshine today. Simple things. Start there. Practice it every single day. And like Mallory, God will transform your life. Mallory, uh, what share with us like one or two daily habits other than the gratitude that you do every day to get to where you are now. Um, one of my biggest daily habits just that's become a lifestyle is putting healthy things into my body. You know, never looking at, I was a fitness competitor for seven years. Um, I'm no longer, I haven't competed in five years, but I actually do have my pro card in the fitness circuit. Um, so that all taught me discipline and the importance of healthy lifestyle. So I work out daily, even if it's like a 30 minute workout. Um, so I get my body moving and I look at nutrition as a way to feed my body and my mind so that I am powered for my day. And the other thing that I really focus on daily is 
some kind of self-improvement. And so I really work on walking in awareness. So maybe it's, I'm being kind of short with my children this week, you know, and so my awareness might be, I'm going to take 15 minutes out for each one of my, like directly focused, you know, on what they're saying, asking about their day, walking in awareness. And so those self-improvement things, sometimes it's listening to a podcast. Sometimes it's reading some scripture. Sometimes it's blocking out literally 20 minutes and saying, honey, please take the baby. I just need to go and listen to some worship music, you know? And so just walking in that awareness and doing something positive with my day each day. I love it. BC Nation, Mallory is doing something so courageous. She's facing the ugly of her past and asking God's light to pour into all that darkness. And what is he doing? He's transforming her life because she gave him permission to. That's what you are looking for. Maybe you don't know how to put words to it, but that's what you truly want deep down in your heart. So learn from Mallory. She's my new hero, right? How uh, Mallory is doing it, right? And, and she's sharing her story. And, and she's been so candid and so transparent today and sharing her story with the world, sharing her story with you. And every time we share our story, it opens up a new life. You know, someone gets to go, I'm not alone wow, Mallory's going through this too. And look at her. She's awesome. She's amazing. I can do it too. So if that's you right now, give your life to God. And Mallory, we are about to enter the confession round. This is where I'm going to ask you 12 quick fire questions. You'll have about three seconds to answer each. Don't overthink it. First thing that comes to you, are you ready? Yes. Mallory, what's your favorite sound? Oh, Music. <laughs> oh, Got it. What's your least favorite sound? My children crying. Aw. When you were a child, what did you not want to be when you grew up? Like my father. <laughs> Got that. <laughs> if <laughs> if you could be anyone, just for fun, anyone on the planet for the next seven days, wake up tomorrow and live their life, who would you be and why? Lady Gaga, and maybe that's a very strange answer, but because I think some people only know her for the weird, but I know her more for what she's done with her life the past couple of years and walking in authenticity and not settling for expectations of what other people thought that you should be, but truly tapping into your purpose and allowing your purpose and your pain to affect the lives of others. Got it. What do you wish you were better at? singing. <laughs> Got it. I what? used to be good at it, but I haven't used it in a long time, so it's not great anymore. Hey, Mallory, what dream are you scared of pursuing? I'm not. I really live unafraid anymore. I'm pursuing every dream that I have right now. Got it. What secret fear do you have about God? Hmm. That's tough. I don't know that I have a fear. We all have one. About God. Maybe one you know, uh, in relationship with God, right? Your relationship with him. What secret fear do you have that holds you back from maybe surrendering everything, even that one little thing that you're still holding on to and trusting even that to him? 
Mm. I don't know. I, I want to live my fullest potential and I don't want to fail him by not living it. Got that. That's a secret fear. Well done. What secret fear do you have about people? That some people, although they may seem authentic, still want to use me in some way. I got that. If you had the power to remove any one form of suffering from the world tomorrow morning, what would you do? What would you remove? Rape, sexual abuse, especially towards children. I definitely get that. Imagine sometime in the distant future, and there you are standing in front of your tombstone. Read to us what it says on it. She gave this life everything that God put in her to give. So cool. When you die, what would you like to ask God? The first question you'd like to ask God when you walk through the pearly gates. Am I done yet? Or do you have more for me? <laughs> Got it. Uh, and last question, Mallory. Uh, if you could come back to life after you died and tell your family and friends, your kids, only one piece of advice, what would you say to them? To give this life all of you. Because if you do, the lives of others will be transformed through it. Love it. We should die like a gas tank on empty, right? Yes. Spent. Yes. Awesome. Mallory, thanks for joining us today. Um, and what is the best place for our listeners to get in touch with you should they choose? Well, I just launched my brand new um, speaking website, so it will be added to. There will be more things on it, but it's speaking, coaching, um, you can sign up for newsletters and get um, just positivity and truth from me on a regular basis. Um, and it's www.malloryaveline.com. And we can have the spelling, you know, listed on your information. And then I'm very active on Instagram and it's just at Mallory Aveline. And then on Facebook, um, my personal page was completely maxed out. Um, so I did start a page there as well. And it's at I'm Mallory Aveline. Like it. Thanks for joining us today, Mallory. And we wish you yes. the love, forgiveness, and transformation of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Remember, go take your dad to the lake. He's waiting for yes. you. Awesome. <laughs> love you, girl. BC Nation, we exceeded our six-month goal. We now have listeners in over 31 countries. It's time to step up our game. That's where you come in. Go to brokencatholic.com and become a patron of the show. Chip in a buck a month and become a show partner. You get to partner with me on Broken Catholic. How cool is that? Or put in $5 a month and get exclusive patron-only rewards like the video content of this interview with Mallory. You get to see her. You get to see the body language, the authenticity that she's been dropping this whole time. She's been doing all these funny signs. I'm kidding. She wasn't doing <laughs> I am Joe. So again, go to brokencatholic.com. I am Joseph Warren, and you were made for greatness. So stop being a wuss and start being a winner. Have a blessed day, and I will catch you right back here next week. God bless you.